Hello and welcome to In the Book with hosts Luke Broom and Austin Freeman, where we study the Bible verse by verse, informing you on what the Bible says and what it means by what it says, with bold declaration of the inerrancy and sufficiency of Scripture. We hope you enjoy. Well, welcome back, everyone. This is the second episode of In the Book. My name is Luke Broom. And I am Austin Freeman. Yep, we're back again. Excited to be here. Austin, what's up, man? Oh, nothing much. Um, just licking my wounds from the weekend and the, uh, the Sooners loss uh, to the Kansas State Wildcats. We can't seem to get past those guys. So, yeah, it's been a pretty rough week, but I'm making it. <laughs> you know, it's God's sport, right? Football. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was also God's sovereignty that they lost. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, Austin's going to be mourning the entire episode, yes. and I'll just talk the whole time. Um, <laughs> no, but man, we're excited to be here. We're actually getting into the text today, which That's is exciting. cool. Yes. Uh, last week, if you if you didn't tune in, last week we covered introduction, um, kind of some background stuff, some setting and context material for the book of First John, which is what we'll be studying for the next probably month or a couple months as we work through the the text uh, bit by bit. So today we're going to be reading 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. Uh, we got some, some good stuff um, prepared for you guys today. So hopefully uh, you're ready for this. Um, I would encourage you to get out your Bible, get, get a notepad, get your pen, uh, follow along with us, write down notes. Um, we'll try and repeat stuff uh, as we go that we right. think is really important. Um, and you can always pause this, obviously, and, and remind us and write down stuff if you think it's Hopefully worthy. we have some noteworthy yes. sayings yeah, or yeah. whatnot. I honestly would feel bad if I told you to get out your notepad, <laughs> and then you're like, ah, these guys didn't say anything worthy of me writing down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, praying that the, that the Spirit of God would, would speak through Austin and I today and would, would encourage you and edify you. So we're going to hop into the text here. So... Get your Bible out if you don't have it already. We're going to read here. I'm, I'm reading from the uh, English Standard Version today. Um, and this is the Word of God. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the Word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it. And testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Amen. Amen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was the reading of the Word of God, and we're hopping in, okay? We're going to get after it. We're going to get after it, okay? Some introductory statements here um, just about this. Taking into consideration, remember what we said last week about the writing style for this one? Yeah. Like, 
John just hops right into this thing. Yeah. Like there's no there's no uh introduction to himself. Nope. There's no lofty uh introduction like Paul gives in some of his letters. Yeah. Right? Like John's like, I'm getting right to it. Yeah. The beginning. Yes, he goes <laughs> right exactly. He goes to the beginning real quick. So um some some people uh postulate as to why uh, John doesn't do this. Some say that it was out of humility on John's uh, part, which that's even like even in his gospel, he never mentions his name. Yeah, he that's just, true. He mentions himself as the disciple. And it's Jesus our, loved. and it's shared almost. It's yeah. like a shared. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, like so that. either out of humility or that John is actually more concerned that his readers focus on the content of the letter rather than the person who is giving it to them. That's those, cool. Those are the two. Kind Good of, for him. <laughs> there needs to be more of him around here. Yeah, that's for sure. Wow. Uh, so that's a little, little quick note there about, I mean, John just hopping right into it. But um, I do want to state here at the outset, keep in mind that John is writing this letter primarily not against the false teachers who are getting it wrong, but to his readers, his little children as an encouragement who are trying to get it right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Last week we talked about Gnosticism and kind of the many other invading false beliefs that are seeping their way into the church at this time. John's not writing this against specifically against those false teachers. However, he does mention them very clearly, but he's writing this to his, his little children as an encouragement saying, Hey, I see you guys are trying to get this right. Here's an encouragement. Here's some back to the basics material. Mm-hmm. So uh, the theme of this little short four verses here that I would encourage you to write down is going to be the person of Christ and his excellency and its effects on us. Theme of this section, the person of Christ, his excellency and its effects on us. Okay, we'll look at these verses as verse 1 and 2, and then the effects of verse 3 and 4. So I'm going to read verse 1 again and then get into some commentary about this. So verse 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The first thing here that that you should take notice of is the phrase, from the beginning. Yeah. Right? This is John referring to the eternality yes okay pre-existence of christ yes exactly and so we see this john does the same thing in his gospel right yeah where he starts off in the beginning and so there, there's a lot of similarities here but john says from the beginning that which was from the beginning obviously this is talking about jesus yeah who is the eternal son of god yeah and like it's kind of he doesn't outrightly say it by any means, but you, it, he circles back to it once again, circling back to it at the very end of the passage with his son, Jesus Christ. And we'll get into that. But at the beginning, you're like, well, who is this eternal being that he's talking about? And it, uh, we can understand at this point in time that it's Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and one thing I want to add is what we need to understand is it's not the beginning of the world and it's not the beginning of the creation but it's before anything where only the only thing that existed was god you know um this is his eternal being 
Um, we see it um, throughout the text, you know, Lord existed from the beginning. The promised one would be from the beginning. Yeah. So it's good to distinguish that it's the beginning, the, the eternal past, the, the time before creation. Yeah, for sure. And this is, hopefully this is giving a gravity or a, uh, a, a weight to who Christ is. Yeah. Like this is a statement about his deity right here. Yeah. Um, which is really important. So I, I want you guys to take note here of something that John says, and he says it in verse one, he says it in verse two, and he says it again in verse three. And these are his descriptive, his descriptive language. He says, we have heard, mm-hmm. seen, looked upon, touched. Like, do you remember last week when we talked about the heresy of docetism? Yeah. Right, that they said that Christ only appeared; his yeah. physical body wasn't real; he just appeared. Oh yeah, this is an, an enormous impl- implication against this these yeah. beliefs at the time. It debunks, you know, one of the beliefs of Gnosticism, where you know he wasn't this physical form. And what we see here, and what we hear from John, is that. He personally experienced the eternal one. Yeah. And that he is not just this pseudo physical phantom that he was intimately, he touched him. Yeah. He saw him. Yeah. He investigated, not investigated, yeah, but just good, like investigated him. Yeah. Um, so uh, it just takes away from the belief, the Gnostic belief that he was this pseudo yeah. you know, being. No, that's good. <clears throat> I, have this, I have this sentence here that I wrote out as I was meditating and thinking on this reality and it says this john says we have heard him Mm -hmm. we've heard his public proclamations and we've heard his most private teachings Mm. we have seen him we have seen him tell the wind and waves be still we have seen him at the mount of transfiguration we have seen him betrayed mocked beaten bleed die risen ascend We have looked upon or beheld him so as to have contemplated on him and discerned specific things about him. And we have touched him. We should remember Jesus's words to Thomas that John records. Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. John is giving us objective evidence to the reality of the nature of Christ, especially his human nature. That's awesome. awesome. That. That's really cool. Well, it just makes me think, and this might sound negative, but it just, it, it shows, it's not going to be negative. I don't know why I said that, but it shows that our eternal God re- comes to us in the most basic way, in a, a physical way. And it's so easily relatable for all of us. Yeah. Um, and I just, I find that so truly beautiful to have the ability to have this relationship with him. Yeah. It, it touches a little bit on what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4 uh, of speaking to that. We don't have a, a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, yeah. but in every way he became like us. Yeah. Right. And so, um, no, that's good. So that, that's going to cover the first verse there. Okay. We covered from the beginning looking at Christ as divine, right? Austin mentioned eternity past there. We, we get this objective evidence from John, right? Heard, seen, looked upon, touched, that 
Not only is Christ the eternal one, but he's also Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah. He was real. He had a physical body. We touched him. We heard him. Mm-hmm. We saw him. And this is giving not only evidence to the reality of Jesus himself, but of specifically his human nature. Yeah. Okay, and this is really important. I think I need to speak on the last four words. Yeah, what you got? The Ooh. word of life. Oh, yeah, that's what I was going into. Oh, okay, cool. Cool, I thought we were moving past that. Oh, if you okay. want, go ahead and speak into it. Go, okay. Go for it, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll hop us off, uh, or pop us off on that, and then you can and come in with some commentary on it. Yeah. So I, I wrote that the end of this verse, so those last few words there, they actually suit better if you read it by itself going into the second verse. Yeah, Because it kind of flows with the second verse. Because we have, John is, he's made a statement about Christ's eternality, from the beginning, then he's made a statement about his uh, human nature, with his descriptive language he gave, mm-hmm. and then he makes another statement about his eternality of saying he was the Word of Life. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're getting we're getting a statement about his his divinity, along with his human nature here. The fact on the fact that he was manifested to us in the flesh. So I'm going to read the end of verse one and into verse two. This is what it says. Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Now, this verse right here is extremely important Mm -hmm. for us understanding the nature of Christ. Okay, so my, my thoughts here on this one are we've got John. Again, he's speaking from a place of authority. We see this with the language he uses of, we have seen it, testify to it, and proclaim to you. Okay, John is establishing authority here with with his words. Mm -hmm. And then he says, or or, we can ask ourselves a question, thinking to the text. Okay, we have seen it. What has he seen? What is he proclaiming to us? Because the language of the text says, the word of life, the life was made manifest, eternal life. This is the language John is using, but we can ask ourselves, what is, what is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the eternal life yep. and the only eternal life. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is, this is not simply a statement of the deity of Christ or his divinity. Mm-hmm. This is also a statement about the exclusivity of Christ. Right. For John to say that he is the word of life, for John to say that we, we what we're pro- proclaiming to you is the eternal life, John is saying this is the only way to the Father. Mm-hmm. Like eternal life cannot be found anywhere outside of Jesus Christ, and this is extremely contrary to modern thought that all roads lead to heaven. Right. John is very clear here. No, that's all not roads true. do not lead to heaven. Okay. There is no way to eternal life outside of belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're right. Absolutely. Any thoughts on that section? I could scream that from the rooftops. Yeah. Um, well, I can, but um, what I have, man, so John is identifying this, you know, eternally existent God, God, and uh, who was physically present with John and uh, the others and uh, as this word of life. And this is the same Logos that he is referring to in John 1. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
which is, you know, in the beginning was the word, the word was God, was with God and the word was God. And that's like, as a kid, that might be one of the hardest verses to kind of understand. But whenever you come into first John verse, you know, I guess two here, man, it, it kind of gives you the answer, the word of life. And so, um, you know, at that point in time, you hear the, the world, uh, it's important. This the idea of the logos, the word of God, was important for John, uh, uh, as well as for the Greek and the Jewish worlds of this day. So, um, and of his day, of course. So, for the Jew, God was often uh, referred to as the Word because that's how they knew him best. God is perfect, uh, perfectly revealed through the Word. That's how Jewish people believed it. Mm-hmm. And then for the Greek. Uh, the philosophers had always spoken for centuries about this logos, the basis for organization and intelligence in their universe, and the ultimate reason for which, you know, controls all things. And then John is literally sitting here telling them, like, I know him intimately. Like that one you've been sp- speaking about for years and you hear in the, this, this is who I'm talking about. I've had a personal relationship with him. And he's like, next Whenever he moves on, he's like, well, let me tell you about him, you know, and then we start seeing who Jesus is throughout this. And so that's what's awesome. Like these implications that John is presenting to these people. He's like, I know him. I've seen him. I've touched him. The one that you've been speaking about for centuries. Yeah, that was some fire right there. (laughs) I've got some fire built up in my soul from that one. Austin just filled me up. Yeah, no, that was that was really good. Good thoughts on that. So I've, I'm going to expound the text a little bit more for you guys. So we have looked at the eternal aspect of Christ here in this verse. Also just finished his exposition there, which was absolutely <laughs> beautiful. And now I, I want to read some text for you. And I have some quotes here from the great theologian, John Owen. Okay, So stay with me here as I, as I read through all of this. John says that Jesus... Being fully God in all majesty and glory in heaven with the Father condescends to us. The word condescend is not a negative connotation here. It means that he came down to be like us. Okay, that he condescended from his place of authority in heaven to be like us. This is not saying that he gave up his divinity by no means, but that he um, left heaven to to come down, to take on flesh, to become like us, okay? John Owen makes this remark on this. He is so the high and lofty one, and so inhabits eternity, or exists in his own eternal being, that it is an act of mere grace in him to take notice of things below. This is, honestly, this is truly a a mind-boggling thought. That God, in all his glory, in his majesty, in his holiness, in his righteousness, would look down on us in compassion and love and grace and send his own son mm-hmm. to be made like us, knowing it's the only way that we could experience salvation. Yeah. The only possible way, which we're going to touch on that in verse 3 uh, to a great length here in a minute. But the text says, concerning the word of life, this is Christ, mm-hmm. was made manifest. Then it says again at the end of verse 2, proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father 
and was made manifest to us, okay? Here are a few more quotes on this from John Owen's book, The Glory of Christ. Hopefully this will shed some light and help us to understand some of the depth to this, okay? This is about his condescension or his taking on flesh. He was made manifest to us, as the text would say. Quote, It did not befall him by lot or chance. It was not imposed on him against his will. It belonged not unto him by any necessity of nature or condition. He stood not in need of it. It was no addition unto him, but of his own mind and accord, he graciously condescended unto the susception and discharge of it. He graciously condescended. He, he did not need it. it. It was not imposed on him. This is out of the act of his own will that he did this for our sake. Another quote here. He became what he was not, but he ceased not to be what he was. This is really important. This is what Philippians 2 gets to about that he, in humility, came to become like us. But at the same time, Christ did not put off any of his divine nature and taking on a human nature. We affirm as believers in Christ that he was both fully God and fully man. Mm -hmm. If there's any discrepancy in that, then the gospel falls apart. Absolutely. And so he became what he was not, but he sees not to be what he was. Okay, that's really important, especially as we get into the implications in verse three. My last quote here, and this one, when I read this, and this one really struck a soul. John Owen says this, quote, He was over all God blessed forever, yet he humbled himself for the salvation of the church onto the eternal glory of God, to take our nature upon him and to be made man. And those who cannot see a divine glory in his so doing do neither know him, nor love him, nor believe in him, nor do any way belong to him. Hmm. Those are some stark words there yeah, from John Owen. For sure. Okay, we, we must see the beauty and the glory and the fact that Christ condescended. That he was made incarnate. Mm-hmm. His incarnation is so important to us yeah. understanding the gospel. And we should see that it's important because this is how John starts off his letter. Yeah. Like John does not start off his letter in any other way, but getting immediately Into. to the person of Christ. Yeah, absolutely. His nature. Can, his, I, can I speak, John, real quick about the person of Christ? Yeah. Especially yeah. in a time right now. Please do. Where the beliefs are going around about God not being this loving individual and, you know, he's just has this, he's a power stricken person. I from the beginning, the words that we see at the beginning of John and then first John, you have to realize there is this eternal relationship of love and fellowship that is seen between God, the father and God, the son mm-hmm. and God, the spirit. Yeah. So, and Jesus refers to this in John 17, talking about, for you love me before the foundation of the world. And so let's, let's, Let's unpack that. So if God is love and God is eternal, this is a quote by David Guzik as well. Sorry, I have to um, give him his credit. So if God is love 
and God is eternal, we understand that love in isolation is meaningless. Love by itself, you, you, you have to ha- it has to have an object. And since there was a time before anything was created, objectless, there was a time when only the or there was a time when the only love in the universe was between the members of the Trinity, mm. the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so to to re, to make people think or to, for people to believe that God is this hateful individual, it's not true. Like yeah. he hates sin, obviously, yeah. but love is one of his greatest creations that he's given us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, it, it just was very, very edifying to hear that, um, because I have fallen, you know, accustomed to that too. Like feeling like if something bad happened to me, Oh, well, God just doesn't love me. You know, that's yeah. so not true. So not true. Yeah. So. We, we see the perfect example of his love right in the cross of christ yeah absolutely and we're, i mean we're going to go into that at length once we get to first john chapter four yeah because uh, that's where john really hits on it the the hardest is yeah. that chapter but yeah we see no greater expression of his love for us and that he sent his own son to become <laughs> like us and to die for us god doesn't give us what we deserve he gives that us is, more than what yeah. we have ever deserved and that was through the cross Um, And that was the greatest form of sacrifice and the greatest form of love in that moment. Yeah, 100%. That's good thoughts there. Okay, so we we have made our way now through verses 1 and 2. And hopefully the summary over those two verses I want you to write down or just keep in your head is that was about the personhood of Christ, the nature of Christ, uh, who Christ is, whichever way you want to word it. And it, it's emphasizing his excellency, okay? Now, as we get into verses three and four, we're going to see the effects of that and how this plays mm-hmm. out. So yeah. I'm going to read verse three again here, and then I'll, uh, I'll share some commentary. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. Okay, so now we have this verse speaking to the effects of Christ. And so we see John again speaking from authority. We've seen, we've heard, and we're proclaiming this to you. What's he proclaiming here? Like, we just answered it in verse 2. Who is he talking about? Who is he concerning? Who is he proclaiming? This is again referring to Jesus. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Jesus Christ. And also subsequently the gospel, that Jesus is the object of the gospel, right? And so we can use those almost interchangeably here. So I want to ask this question, given this verse, if John is proclaiming to us Jesus Christ or the gospel, and then he says, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. My question as reading through this is, how can we have fellowship with a holy God? If we truly understand and believe, which I think the modern church today does not do a good job of this, and we uh, are hard-pressed to find churches that actually believe and live out the reality that God is holy, but I digress. If, (laughs) If God is holy as sinners whom God abhors, Mm -hmm. 
sinners whom God hates, how can we have fellowship with him? And this I proclaim to you is the importance of the incarnation Mm -hmm. or of Christ's condescension. Because Jesus became like us, he was able to fully and forever atone for our sins according to the law of God. Mm -hmm. Okay, I hope you caught that. This is the importance of the incarnation. Of the, this is this is how a, a piece of how we can have fellowship with the holy God, because Jesus became like us. He was able to fully and forever atone for our sins according to the law of God. Now I've got some text here that I want to read for you to kind of give us some more insight on this and, and expound this a little bit more. Okay, so my first one here, I'm going to read from Leviticus. Chapter 9. We've got Leviticus chapter 9 first. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. I really like the idea of fellowship. I don't know. That's just yeah. the word itself. It just like sharing a common life. Yeah. Or I, I, some of the Greek word for it is koinon, Koinen, ko, koinonia. 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 Uh, sharing, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like joint participation. Yeah. Or in communion with right that's kind of the language of, of the word fellowship yeah okay so leviticus chapter 9 verses 1 through 7 reads this on the eighth day moses called aaron and his sons and the elders of israel and he said to aaron take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering both without blemish and offer them before the lord and say to the people of israel take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for peace offerings, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. And they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, This is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Then Moses said to Aaron, Draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering, and make atonement for yourself and for the people, and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. Okay, I'm going to read now from Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. It reads this, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. It is blood that makes atonement by the life. Wow. Okay, that was from Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. Now let me flip over to the New Testament and read some text for you. This first one is from Hebrews <clears throat> chapter 9 verse 22 reads this indeed under the law almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood okay take that what this verse what I just read in light of what I read in Leviticus you will find them to be extremely similar there must have been a sacrifice, must have been a sacrifice for atonement, right? Mm -hmm. We see that very clearly in the Old Testament mm -hmm. with the sacrifices of bulls and goats. 
And we see that more beautifully and infinitely more valuable in the New <laughs> yeah. Testament with Christ's sacrifice. This is the connection here. Okay. I'm glad we still don't have to do that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, for sure. Thank, thank God for the book of Hebrews. Because yes. It, it gives us so much uh, information about this. <laughs> okay. I've got, I've got a little bit more here, so stay with me. This is, again, chapter 9, but this is looking back uh, to verses 9 through 14. And this is what the, uh, the author says. According that he's talking about uh, the Old Testament uh, symbols and uh, what they had to do in the Old Testament sacrificial system. He says, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Okay? The Old Testament could not perfect the conscience of the worshiper. It was only temporary. Right. Okay? And then we read on, and the text says this, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then... Through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Dang. Dang. Yeah. Hebrews Hebrews coming with fire there. That is. Okay. Wow. Two more here. This is getting a little bit more to the effects of it. But looking at chapter, flip one chapter over, chapter 10, verse 14, the author says this, For by a single offering, he, talking about Christ, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. A single offering. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And then hop down to verses 19 through 22. This, this section right here is absolutely beautiful. The author says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Wow. Yeah. Okay, the, the goal of that text, of all those texts I just read, I realize I read a lot there. If you need to go back and listen to it again, <laughs> please do, or you can write, it, write them down and go back and read them. They're all, can, they're all connecting. They're all saying similar things. But I read those to you to emphasize this point. His, Christ's divine nature, made him fit for the work of redeemer but his human body allowed him to shed the blood necessary to redeem Mm. okay and now 
we are able to approach God the Father and commune with Him or have fellowship with Him. Well, that's so beautifully put because another issue that people, how they don't relate to this fellowship that we've been talking about is, well, God can't feel pain. Well, you think about what happened on the cross. That's the greatest amount of pain anyone could ever suffer. The weight of sins on top of your shoulders as you're being hung Mm -hmm. on a cross by your own body. You're being hung by that. Like that's so much pain. Like I I just, it blows my mind how people can't understand and I'm not judging. I don't, I'm not, I don't judge people. I try not to, but man, like, how can you not believe that God doesn't feel the same things that you feel? He's in fellowship with you. He's living and breathing and sharing and loving. And it's all, we're all together. And like at that time, that's why John is saying this. Like the Greek ideal at that point in the belief system, then they valued relationship and fellowship, but that was man to man. That wasn't man to God. So it only, it only maintained that. And the idea of such an intimate relationship with God was unheard of. Mm -hmm. And like, we have that and we can tap into that constantly. So Luke, I ask you, and if you have anything else to say, just, I just want you to answer a quick question as a Christian believer, maybe someone who's new, give them an, like some way that they can have a relationship with God. What is something that they can do? As far as, an unbeliever or a new believer? New believer. Just okay. give, give, give one simple thing that they could do yeah. to be in relationship with God. New believer ha- has repented of their sins, has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, is, is a genuine convert. One of the absolute most important ways to have fellowship with God is in his word. Yep. Like Absolutely. 100% reading, studying, meditating on dwelling on the word of God. Like this, this word reveals to us the very character of God yeah. and the story of how he has saved us and why he has saved us. Yeah. And it's like we, when we open the, the scriptures and we read, I, I truly believe that we don't fully understand the, the gravity of that. Like the, the spirit himself guides us into truth. Like Jesus says that, that the spirit will guide you into all truth. This book that we are reading is the truth. Yeah. Okay. And this, the spirit of God that now dwells in you, new believer is guiding you into this. Do not neglect to read your Bible. Mm-mm. Do not let it sit on the shelf and collect like, dust. Don't do it. By no means. It should be tattered. Yeah. yeah. It, it's the, the pages should be worn. Yeah. Like you, you can never get enough of this book. For sure. Ever. You can study it for a lifetime and still never plumb the depths. It's living, yeah. And, and the riches of it. Yeah. You could get something different out of it every day of your life. 100%. You could read the same verse every day and get something get a, different. Get a different application. Yeah. I agree. Absolutely. And a, a second to that, which which goes along with it, it's going to be prayer. Okay. Yeah, prayer, for sure. Like, like that is one of the sweetest ways to commune, to to participate with God, like to, to be with him yeah. is to be in, in constant prayer yeah. to him, mm-hmm. constant prayer to him, despite the, the joys and the, the heartaches of life. Um, there is never a season in mm-hmm. which that we, sh- we should not be actively uh, talking to and with God. I agree. 
And if, if, you're, if you're wondering, new believer, how does God talk to me? The answer I go back to is the first thing I told you, his word. Yeah. That's how he talks to you, his word. So, I mean, we can both agree that this idea of a fellowship, a relationship with God is so very essential. And it's something that's easily attainable. It's just that doesn't mean that Jesus comes into our life and is going to, you know, help us to, you know, do the same things. Whenever you start, you know, getting into the word and you start praying, your life is going to change so drastically. Mm. You're going to love better. You're going to care better. You're going to be able to be a better friend better. I'm just that the value that this has and why John is saying this to these people is he wants them to have this relationship with him, with the Lord, because he knows how great it can be for them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he 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 realizes that in order to be uh, in because uh, he's writing to a local church or to, to local churches, yeah. obviously here as we talked about in the first episode. But like for for the for his little children here that he's writing to, for them to understand that to be in fellowship with God is going to drastically affect their fellowship with one another. Mm -hmm. And this is actually, we're going to see a constant theme as we get into the rest of the text or in weeks to come that John makes pretty clear that one of the tests of genuine salvation Mm -hmm. is the way that you treat other people. Like your love for brothers and sisters is how the text is interpreted. But who did you first experience God's love through? through what's your question again well i'm just it's important to have fellowship with god we put that at the top for sure but fellowship it also speaks about one another fellowship with one another oh yeah yeah where did you first experience god's love through fellowship with one another yeah that's like yeah god's people that's where i experienced it first and i'm like in his church where the what what the heck is that person on like i you know it's like what what do they have different that i don't and it's this person had accepted Christ or not accepted. They, he had Christ in his heart yeah. and he was fervent and realized like he is my life and yeah. I, he died for my sins. And it's we as Christian believers have to display this to people, mm-hmm. this fellowship and be open to it and give people fellowship because that's how God's love shines through us. Yeah, that definitely is is a part of it. Um yeah, I totally agree with you. The The local church and the many outlets of that is definitely where I um, experience the love of God in, in relation to fellowship with him. Yeah. Um, is when we're fellowshipping well with one another. Yeah. And so I, w- I want to briefly touch back on my first point there and, and explain that again to you, reader, before I go into this second point about this verse of a little bit more of its application. So my question I asked earlier is how can we have fellowship with a holy God as sinners whom God hates? And I talked about the importance of the incarnation, Christ's condescension, and I read all of those verses explaining that there needed to be a sacrifice for sin. There needed to be bloodshed for the forgiveness of sins, and Christ accomplished that for us on the cross. He could not have redeemed our sin he could not have shed the blood necessary to redeem if he hadn't have taken on our flesh. 
it was extremely important that he was both fully God and fully man in order for atonement to be properly made according to the law of God, which he had established in the Old Testament. Okay, and this is extremely important to understand because this impacts the way that we commune with one another. Yeah. Okay, so the, and the reality of what Christ did for us and that he made a way for us now to enter into communion with God at any time, whenever we want to, wow, mm-hmm. that's massive. Yeah, I can, I can go to the Father in prayer at any time because Jesus, the Holy One, is interceding for me. Yeah. He, is, he is seated at the right hand of God, interceding for me at all moments. Yeah. And at the end of days, when I stand before the God of the universe, the God of this universe will look at me and will see the righteousness of Christ. Yeah. We'll see, he, will, he will look at me and see me not naked and ashamed yeah. and guilty in my sin. He will see me clothed yeah. in the righteousness of Christ. Boom. Okay. That's good. Okay. That's extremely important. So th- here's the application of this. And this is the other aspect of this verse, because John says that we have fellowship with God and we also have fellowship with one another. Okay, so I must ask the question, what is our fellowship with each other based on? What is it rooted in? Is it not our fellowship with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ? I mean, read the text again. Read the text. It says that. We proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Listen to me. This is so important, especially in today's context. The singular source of unity or oneness in the church is Jesus Christ. Boom. Bring it. The singular that's, source of unity right. in the church is Jesus Christ. That's right. Period. It is not race. It is not ethnicity. No. It is not your uh, the reality of you being male or female. Mm-hmm. It is not your nationality. It is not your socioeconomic status. Faith in Jesus Christ is the singular source of unity in the church. That's a very good word. Period. Yeah. And I've got some text here to read on that, just in case you don't believe me. First one here is from actually the Gospel of John. John writes in John 17 in his high priestly prayer, verses 22 and 23, he says this, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. Okay? They may, one, oneness is the language there in John 17. Mm-hmm. And that is what Jesus prays for right before he goes to the cross. Another verse, another verse here out of Colossians. This is Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, uh, sorry, verses 9, 9 through 17. Colossians 3, 9 through 17. It reads like this. 
Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Listen listen to this. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I've got one more text to read for you about this. But take note again what I emphasized in Colossians 3, verse 11. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now flip over to Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. This is what it says. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All one in Christ Jesus. Beautiful. Okay, I'm going to repeat my statement again, just because I want to emphasize it one more time. The singular source of unity in the church is Jesus Christ. In the world today, it's so divisive and... I mean, that's what the evil does is that it separates it. Oh, yeah. It divides and tries to conquer. And it's people are so numb to it, man. Like no one knows that that's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. You know why? A part of it. No one wants to forgive each other. Yeah, that's true. There's no love. No love. There's there's no forgiveness. (laughs) We, We don't fully understand the reality that Christ forgave us when our sin was against a holy God. Yeah. We had every right to be punished eternally for our sin. Period. Hands down. Yeah. But by mere grace, God looked down on us. He sent his son to take on flesh, to die for our sins. Man. To take our place. I I, I feel like these first couple verses in 1 John just give us everything that we've needed in a, a Christian faith, you know. <laughs> yeah, John, John starts off hard. We can here. live our whole Christian life based off of these couple of verses. <laughs> and now we're we're at the last verse here, and it reads this: First John one verse four, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This, ladies and gentlemen, is one of the whys that this letter was written. Okay, John is really straightforward in why he wrote this letter. There's several more of these, but this is one of them. He clearly says, 
If you ask yourself the question, why did John write this? John answers, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That's why. And if you remember last week, one of the themes I told you guys of this letter was happiness, or we we could say joy. Um, I would say joy, honestly, would be a better word than happiness, just because happiness can be... Well, joy is this sense of optimism and cheerfulness that's based on god yeah it's, it's deep rooted and then happiness is more it, it could be it's a sense of optimism and cheerfulness that comes from circumstances yeah yeah that's true I, that's that's why i say i like the word joy a little bit better just happiness can be a little bit more uh usually inter- <laughs> sorry it, go ahead. it can usually be interpreted a little bit more as something that's uh, influenced by circumstances or uh, like a more emotional. It's fleeting. Yeah, exactly. Whereas joy is is usually the word used in the Bible to express a more deep-rooted yeah. uh, sense of joy yeah. that, that, that's, uh, that's based on um, Christ yeah. and what he's done for us. So, um, yeah, John's straightforward there about why he's writing this. Uh, and if you're wondering the question too, okay, well, how, how can our joy be complete? John's already answered it in verse 3. The completion or fullness of our joy is found in our fellowship with God. Yeah. We have joy because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. We are filled up with all the joy that we need because of our abiding in Christ. Our joy is not found on things of this world, though Amen. that they are... Nice at times, but man, they're material. They're they're temporary. Yeah, it's temporary. For sure. So I've got one more uh, text to read for you guys uh, talking about this joy. And this is, again, from John's Gospel. It's uh, chapter 15. This is where he talks about uh, the reality that he is the true vine and we are his branches. And he says in John 15, verses 10 and 11, If you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as i have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love these things i have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full and so you can ask yourself the question from that text how can christ's joy be in us and how can our joy be full he says if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love Keep my commandments. Keep them. And so I, I answer that question here at the end of like, how, how can we experience this, this fullness of joy? And I answered and said that it's found in our fellowship with God. Mm-hmm. Well, an aspect of our fellowship with God is that we continue with God, yes. that we remain in Christ, that we abide in Christ. Yeah. And a primary way that Christ himself says that we remain in him is that we obey what he says. Yeah. We obey his commandments. Absolutely. Well put. Okay. So uh, that's all I got on verse four. You got anything else to, to end with that verse? Like I said, these first four verses as a Christian, you can, you got your, I mean, it has so much and I'm so, that's why I'm so happy that we are, you know, diving into this letter because there's just so much truth to it and it's so edifying to to feel and to to hear and to see and touch (laughs) uh but just to be a part of and 
um, you know, hopefully this will also do this to others. Like they need to hear this truth. Yeah. Um, because there's so many things out in the world today that are, is taking up their time that's not the truth. Yeah. And their happiness, their joy is taken from them, you know, through social media or whatever it may be. The untruth can take away your joy. And so it's just very, very, it, like back to the basics, like you're saying. Yeah. This is getting back to the basics. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very important things in a Christian's life. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we, we've spent almost an hour here uh, exegeting this text. Uh, hopefully it was beneficial for you. Uh, one more time, I'm going to summarize what, what we covered today. We read verses 1 through 4. We said that verses 1 and 2 are proclaiming the nature or the person of Christ, who he is and his excellency. We looked at his, his incarnation, his condescension, and the reality that that provides a way for him uh, to redeem us and to rescue us and cover us. Okay, that's atonement. And then we looked at verses 3 and 4. Or they, they, they're the effects of, of who Christ is. And the first one was that we have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we have that because of who Christ was mm-hmm. or who Christ still is. And then we have fellowship with one another that's based on Christ. And lastly, we have joy. Our joy is is full and complete. And that's found in fellowship with God. Absolutely. So that's what we covered today. Thank you so much for for being with us, for joining us and and listening. Uh, Hopefully this was edifying to you. Austin and I are are praying that. Um, any, Any closing statements, Austin? That's all I have. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining. We'll be praying for you this week. Join us again next week. We'll be hopping into verses five through 10 of first John chapter one. Love you guys. Thankful for you. Grace, Adios. Grace and peace.